Well, welcome to Grace. Um, as you heard me pray just a second ago, our prayer is uh, genuinely that you experience the presence of Jesus today because um, that's what we've come for. And so uh, we've been doing a series called Essentials, or Essential, however you want to look at it. And we've talked about some things that we think are essential, especially to the faith. And for a lot of us, that means different things. In fact, let me submit to you that you've been told for probably the last few months um, that this is essential, or this job is essential, or this in your life is essential. But the reality is, is when we begin to look at that from God's perspective, maybe the definition of what is essential will change for us. And so in your notes, there'll be some things that'll help you to follow along. But if you're just joining us for the first time, let me bring you up to speed. So the first week we talked about the essential nature of the good news. The essential nature of the gospel is, is what it's called in the Christian language, okay? The gospel is the good news. And we talked about how in each and every one of our lives, if you look and listen carefully enough, you can actually hear how God is at work. He's at work in different ways, and you have to learn how to listen to the stories of other people. The second week, Pastor Tom brought us a message about the essential nature of prayer and how many times we use prayer as a last go-to when it really should be the first thing we come to as we engage with God. And this week, we're going to talk about relationships and when I was researching just the concept of relationships, I found an interesting article that came out of Harvard. It was the longest running social experiment that I'm aware of. It started in 1939 and it ended in 2014. And in that course of history, they actually tracked 724 different men asking the question, what is it that brings them the greatest happiness and wholeness in their lives? And unequivocally, what came back was good and healthy relationships over and over again. The men that had those lived the longest and had the happiest lives. And so when we think about that, what does God have to say about what's a healthy relationship look like and how is it essential to our lives? So we all crave good relationships, but many times those are skewed, right? Think about some of the relationships we've had in our lives, parental relationships, right? Some of us have had positive experiences, negative experiences, mixed experiences. Maybe you've been a parent and you understand the other flip side of that. And the relationships that you struggled through are with teens, right? Oh, yeah. Or you struggled with, um, I don't even know what to call it anymore, but it seems like the teenage phase advances all the way to 25. Anybody with me? Okay, they're shaking their heads. Okay, there's that one too. And we struggle with how does that relationship work? Grandparent relationships. I mean, grandparents, their relationships have been strained heavily during covid to even connect with their grandkids. I think spousal relationships is one of the ones that's even taken the greatest hit in this season when we think about relationships. And certainly friendships have been a lot harder in this season when you think about our separation. COVID has strained us, wouldn't you agree? And strained our ability to have relationships and even see the essential nature of those relationships. But this is not new. One of the things I love about the Bible, I love about scripture, is everything comes back around. Have you noticed that? Ecclesiastes talks about there's nothing new under the sun. It all comes back around at some point. And in Jesus's day, there were some strained relationships. Their relationships, many times in the Jewish community, surrounded their understanding of the law, how the law was given, how it came through Moses. Now, right, you remember that, the big Ten Commandments, right? You've seen some of the old movies, some of the new movies. Reality, he gets Ten Commandments on some stones, right? He starts off there, but then they start adding Anybody know how many they ended up adding by the time of Jesus' day? <laughs> there were 613 unique and individual commandments by the time that Jesus is walking on earth that were put on that people. And those commandments put a heavy, heavy burden and strain, not only on the people's relationship with God, but also the relationship with each 
other. And so in the midst of this, some of the people that were the experts in the law come to Jesus. And this is in your notes. It's also in the Bible. You can open up to Mark chapter 12 if you'd like to follow along or use your notes or the app. And when you look at this, look at what they said. They said, of all the commandments addressing Jesus, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandments greater than these. Now, I've heard it preached, and I've heard it taught, and I think I've even taught this at one point in my own journey as a pastor, that Jesus essentially took the 10, you've ever heard that, and he condensed them to two, right? Because when you look at the 10 commandments, most of them deal either with your relationship with God or your relationship with other people. But as I really studied this this time, what I learned was this is not new. Jesus was not introducing a new teaching He was trying to bring people back to the original essential nature of relationships that started from the very beginning. So this was not a new command. In fact, my wife is always uh, good about reminding me to kiss, not just kiss for affection, but you know the other one, right? Keep it simple. I'm glad you said it because I would have gotten in trouble if I said it. See, that works, see? Yeah, okay, all right, whatever. So, So moving along, keep it simple. And when you look at this, it's actually very simple. It's not complicated at all. We know this is the great commandment. But what I want to show you this morning is the great commandment is sown throughout Scripture. I'm just going to use two, but if you begin to look, you'll see it throughout the whole thing as you look at the heart of God and how essential relationships were with Him. And so there's some parallelism. Let me give those to you before we set up this passage. The first one we're going to go to and kind of bounce out of is out of Genesis. You probably remember the original creation story. Even if you're not a Christian, most people know God created everything. That's the Christian worldview, right? And it was good, right? And then he made man and woman, and they were good. And then sin came into the world through their disobedience. Okay, let's just stop there. I'm going to show you through that story how the essential nature of relationships and the very first essential commandment is there. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The other one I want to bring to you is in all of the laws, because there's some goofy ones, right? If you're reading, some of you read it, you read Leviticus, okay? When you get to those parts where like tearing pigeons in half and doing weird things with stuff, you're like, what is going on, right? You look through all those, there's one though, there's one. And it's a very unique offering. It's called a peace or fellowship offering. And it's the only offering in all of scripture through the Old Testament where you're supposed to make it a free will before God, not based on sin and not based on just the commandments, but based on you're the one that initiates it, based on a relationship with God. I want to show you through Leviticus 7 that that's not a new idea, that it's there also. So let's go through this. What are the essential things for good relationships? And you're going to see this in all three of these instances. The first one is they all begin with God. Every good, healthy, essential relationship has its foundation in a relationship with God. This is why Jesus, when he's asked, says of all the commandments, which is the most important, he says, hear, O Israel, this one, right? Now, when he says this, you and I may not know this, depending on your background, he's actually quoting something in Hebrew that they would have known as the Shema, which is not important you know that word, but here's what's important. They were taught this since they were a baby, So from the very youngest age, every child that was in Jewish culture would have been taught, hey, memorize this passage, which comes out of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They knew this. And because they knew it, it set a foundation for them that said, look, every relationship has to begin based on our understanding and relationship with God. All good relationships. Let me give you some examples. What about our work? Work is a relationship, right? 
When you work, you've got a relationship with an employer, with employees, right? With coworkers. Some of you are already having flashbacks to ones you don't like, right? So you're thinking about this, right? But did you ever think about that your relationship with God is the foundational component to all of your relationships at work? I'll give you an example out of scripture, out of Colossians 3.23. Some of you know this passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord. Yeah. For God. So when you begin to understand that everything is centralized on first and predicated on this relationship with God, it begins to shape all the other relationships. How about friends? A lot of you have friends. You've got buddies. Some of you got BFFs. Some of you, you know, you got just Facebook friends. You got associates. But have you ever thought about the scripture might have something to share about our friends and their relationship is connected with God? Romans 12.10 says it this way. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. That means a really good friendship starts with a relationship with God, and then that relationship then extends to the the friends that are closest to you where it says, I love them more than I love me. Those are good relationships. Those are good friends. What about spousal relationships, right? This is where you can go all the way back to Genesis 2, and you begin to see this original relationship that God's creating, right? And he creates everything, and then he creates man and woman. He puts them in the garden. He says, look, only one rule, right? One rule. Don't eat from this one tree. You can eat from anything you want, but don't eat from this tree. And what what does man and woman do? They go right for the tree, don't they? They go right for it. And you look at this, and what you realize is is that both of them are at fault. Adam failed to lead in that moment, didn't he? Because he was the one that heard the words of God when God made him and breathed the, the, the breath of life into his nostrils. He said, look, you can do all this, but don't eat from that tree. And when the moment came that his wife was being tempted, he sat there like a bump on a log. Some of you are going, yep, that's my husband. Every time we do dishes, right, there's the elbow, right? He just sat there. He didn't do anything. And the reality was in that moment, he failed to lead. And that failure was based on his disobedience first with God, which then caused a chasm between him and his wife. His wife in that moment failed to take one second to go, wait a minute, is this really true? And turned to Adam, who was standing there the whole time with her and said, what do you think? She failed to be led. And that relationship continues on, and you see the chasm both between man and woman and in God. So this is not new. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor or the people around you as yourself. One of the things that I see this also happening is in the fellowship offering, this peace fellowship offering we talked about in Leviticus 7. It says that they were thankful for God in their life, and because of their thankfulness for God, they then made an offering to God. So they know to begin with God. Man and woman failed at this. God's trying to remind us of this in Leviticus. And then he reminds us of this when Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. This happens also in the groups in which we have. My favorite time is actually hanging out with growth group. It's not Sundays, actually. Sundays are always stressful for us in the worship ministry because we're always trying to get things ready, right? Worship people are like, yeah, okay. But my favorite time is when I just get to hang out with my peeps on Monday nights. And begin to really talk about not only my relationship with God, but my relationship with each one of them. And I can tell you after doing that for a long time, our relationship with God is affected by our relationship with one another and vice versa. One of the favorite things I love hearing them share is when they share the wins of what God's doing in their life. Because I feel encouraged as I see God at work in their life. But we always have to first begin with God. The second thing in essential relationships is they hold nothing back. They hold nothing back. 
You've probably known people that tend to hold things back in the relationship. And I love that in this passage, when Jesus addresses this, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I don't know if that's a run-on sentence, but you can blame the NIV translators. But here's the reality. When you look at this, he's doing some pretty cool stuff here. Heart, mind, body, and soul is what Jesus is saying. Everything, nothing held back. The original word there is not a complicated word. Many of you have been to a cardiologist, right? You've been to a cardiologist before? Okay, that's the word. It's the exact same word there for heart. And what they understood in that context, what they would have understood in Greek thinking, what they would have understood even in Jewish thinking was that the heart was at the very center of all things. Now, if you don't understand that, I'm just like, I'm curious how many people have had to go through something I've had to go through. Anybody been through a CAT scan? Anybody here? Okay, okay. Any of you have to get that stupid dye? Did you feel like you peed yourself when they put it in? Okay, it was not just me, right? Okay, they put that stuff in, you get this warm, flushed feeling all over you. You know why? As soon as it hit your system, your circulatory system, your heart pumped that through your body in seconds. And what they understood when they used the word heart was that it was at the center of how everything in your body was nourished. Even back then, they understood this before they understood all of the anatomy and all the pieces. And they used that not only physically in their understanding, but spiritually in their understanding. And what they understood was that the heart drove all of those other pieces. The, the Bible concept of the heart is the will seat or where the desires of your life emerge. So if it's the will seat and it's where all of the desires emerge, okay, spiritually speaking, it affects the soul. It affects the mind. It affects your strength and your body and all that you do. And so again, when you begin to apply this and look at it and you go back to the very first marriage and you go back to Genesis, the story, you have to ask the question, what was at the heart of their disobedience? You ever thought about that? Not that they disobeyed, but what was at the heart of their disobedience? What was the will or what was coming out of the will seat of their journey in their life? And it's not, it's not complicated. Again, it's very simple. What was at the very heart of that was their willingness to be God instead of letting God be God. Because what, the, what was the temptation? When you eat of this fruit, what will happen? You will be like God. And so how many of us, when we think about good relationships, think that we've got the corner on them and maybe God doesn't? We'd rather live relationships based on our standards and our way of thinking instead of the way that God thinks about relationships. And so we continue to wreck the essential nature of relationship because we continue to violate even that first and simple commandment of loving God with all of our being, with our heart and our mind and body and soul because at the very core of our heart, the will seat, we deceive ourselves, right? What's, that's why the first thing they did after they, um, maybe not the first thing, but one of the first things they did after they sinned, Adam and Eve, was they covered themselves, with fig leaves. That kind of had to look goofy, right? Sewing fig leaves together? Go ahead and try that one at home, okay? And then so you think about this. They, they do this, but really what's at the heart of it is their relationship was broken because their relationship with God was broken. That's what's so essential in nature. And so then you come again, uh, moving forward, and you think about how this impacts us today. Think about how many couples that you know, maybe even you're struggling in this area yourself today, that would rather live together than be married. It's pretty rampant in our culture, is it not? So and if you're one of those folks, I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I want to give you a perspective 
on what God has to say of how to really drive mind, body, and soul. Because the way you change the heart is God has to be the one that initiates it, and you have to accept it. The Bible calls this a covenant. It's an agreement between you and God. And when you begin to get to those covenants, those moments where you say, I believe what God has said, and I covenant with him, I build this relationship with him, guess what happens to the heart? It changes. And as the heart changes, the mind begins to change, the body begins to change, and the soul begins to change. But what we would rather do is, listen to what we'll do in our relationships, just taking marriage as an example. We'd say, well, I don't want to mess up our love for one another. Why put a, why put a contract on it? Have you heard that before? Or maybe I need to test out this marriage. Trust me, you're compatible. I've seen the biology. You're, you'll, you'll fit, okay? It works. You don't need to test it out. But what we do when we think about this is we forget that there's this biblical idea of a covenant, a relationship that God has spoken about marriage. And then when you live out that kind of union, God not only blesses it, but your relationship with one another is whole. And this is not just for people that are cohabitating. It's for people that are in marriage and they've never been taught how to be married. That you don't know that God has called you as the husband to lead that home. We like that, by the way. Guys do, don't we? Yeah, I'm the man. Until you realize that every decision made in that home, whether you made it or your wife made it, you will stand accountable before God. Now that gets scary, doesn't it? When you start understanding that, you go, maybe I should listen to the counsel of my wife. She's pretty sharp on some areas, you know? And maybe I should listen to what she has to share as the Holy Spirit speaks to her. And you begin to see that there is a partnership, but that you're the one that will ultimately be held responsible for every decision at home. Oh, that's what God says? Yeah, that's what he says in Ephesians 5. And then he says that wives have to help their husbands in this area because we suck at it. We are not good at this. Just like in the original garden, what we will do is we'll back up and retreat and we'll say, you just, whatever you want. And the moment we do that, we not only violate the relationship with God, but we bring in that chasm again between one another. This is why essential relationships are so important, why they begin with God. I love that when we look at this, and we look at Leviticus 7, again, just looking at this, Hannah, some of you know Hannah in the Bible, some of you don't. Hannah was a woman who she begged God for a baby, you know, because that was a big deal back in their day. If you didn't have a kid, that was like a, you know, you were a failure. So she was begging God for a child, and God finally said, you know, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to give you a child. And, and her response she ends up offering Samuel back to God. He lives literally at the temple, becomes one of the greatest prophets Israel's ever known. But what you may not know is that the offering that she comes to make the day that she brings Samuel to the temple is the peace and fellowship offering. So she comes as a free will and says, look, God does not demand this of me. God does not require this of me. But my love for God, which is the starting point, is now what's going to focus my relationship with even my son. And I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate my son and give him up at this place. And it's because of that that we have an incredible story, not only about Samuel, but also Samuel's influence on David. You see, that intimacy begins with God, and then it moves to other people. This is one of the reasons why, again, I love growth groups. In my group, my people know me more than anybody can know me on a Sunday. They know my struggles. They know my pains. They know my consistent prayer life with them, and vice versa. Because those relationships are absolutely necessary. So I got to ask you a question. Does God know the desire of your heart? Is the desire of your heart based on your own will or a covenant relationship with him? And out of that, think about this. How does it change my thinking? How does it change the way I physically treat myself? 
And how does it change the very soul or being of who I am? So the essentials for good relationships, they begin with God and they're held together because nothing is held back. Everything is given to God and to one another. Nothing's veiled. And then third, they're inside out. They're inside out. So then he says, the second commandment's likened unto it or like it or it's like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got a Bible, you should circle yourself. <laughs> There's no commandment greater than these. You ever think about the idea of yourself and how, how you understand yourself and how that might impact your relationship with other people and your relationship with God? So when I think about myself, and I'm I'll be a little transparent, but not too transparent because I'll get in trouble with my wife, okay? But when I think about myself, one of the things I can tell you in general is that the very heart of who I am is a sinful man. Whether I like it or not, whether I want to admit it or not, at the heart of who I am, I know there's such a rebellion sometimes against the very nature of who God is. The other thing I know about myself is that I have been, I am being, and will be fully transformed one day into the image of Jesus. That's an amazing thought. So for someone who understands the true Christian faith, you understand at the very core of who you are, you're a sinful person. So the very nature of who we are, I have to understand that to understand my relationship with God. But then I also equally understand that Jesus has transformed me into his image and is transforming me into his image. And one day we'll complete that process. I'm like you, I'm in process. But with that, I also begin to understand that understanding with God that starts inside of me moves outward to other people. So when I look at you, the first thought I have, this might seem crazy, is those are sinners just like me. Every single person I come in contact with. And that doesn't mean it's condemnation. It doesn't mean arrogance or that somehow I'm superior. It means I feel the depth of your pain because I too share that pain because of the depth of my own sin. And when you begin to understand how sinful you are, you can be incredibly patient with other people. One of the things I love in Scripture out of Matthew 10 is this idea when Jesus comes to his apostles, the people that are closest to him, and he says, freely it's been given to you. Now freely give. You start to understand this, and this starts to work in the inside of you, and you begin to understand how, this is why understanding sin is so important, and we don't like to talk about this in the church, in the modern church today, but it's absolutely necessary, because when I understand the depth of my own sin, I have such a patience with you and other people that sin against me. So for instance, in a marriage, think about this, where you've got tension, right? You've got conflict, and one party has sinned in some, one way, and the other party feels offended in the other way. And the other one's so mad at this one. When you both understand that you're sinners in need of a savior, guess what happens? Yes, there's a consequence to it. Yes, there's something to work through, but you have such patience with the other spouse because they're just struggling with sin in maybe a different way than you are. And guess what? They, if they're a Christian, Jesus has died for them, is perfecting them, and will one day perfect them. But not yet. And you see him in process. You have such a perspective change the way that you treat that marriage. You know, when you look at your parents, Dan was reminding me of this recently. It was so beautiful what he reminded me of. He was, you know, his dad sometimes, it's easy for us to pick apart our parenting, isn't it? And feel the failures of our own parenting. 
Especially, maybe you've made this one. You're like, I'll never do what my dad did. Have you had that one, right? I'll never, and then you say something your dad said, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my dad. Like, and you go nuts, right? But then you realize your dad, your mom, was a sinner. Saved by grace of what Christ has done. And it gives you such a release to give them that freedom to be that. And for you to be that. It's not an excuse to sin, but it helps you to understand how much easier it is to offer that to other people. And so not only is your response to see people as sinners, but it's also to see them as having the ability to be transformed by Christ. That you're seeing them maybe before they know Jesus, they're in the process of knowing Jesus, and one day you will see them if they're Christian in perfection of their faith. And that makes me look at people so differently, especially when I see the spark of the divine inside of their life. It changes the whole way that I think. Freely you've been given. Now freely give that kind of thing. And then you come back to the first marriage and you look at the first marriage in Genesis 2 and you ask the question, what happened when they sinned? And instead of actually giving the other person some room, some credit based on the nature of sin, they played the blame game. Amen, right? What's Adam say? Well, that woman you gave me, like God didn't give him a good woman, okay? That woman you gave me, she did this. What'd she say? The serpent. This is the one that deceived me. This is what sin does. And that's what it does when we don't recognize it in one another and make allowances for that and and actually understand that God has provided a solution to our sin. So that happened in the first marriage. It happens in our relationships today. And it causes a chasm between us when we play the blame game. So understanding yourself is one of the keys to truly offering forgiveness to other people and understanding what God's doing. In Leviticus 7, it even gets more beautiful. But if you want to write down, it's Leviticus 7, 11 through 21, is all the requirements of this thing called a fellowship or peace offering. And the best part of this fellowship peace offering is when you came to make it, it's a free will of your own, and you brought the animal to be sacrificed. It's just because you love God, and you're looking at what God's doing in your life, and you're so appreciative because you understand you're a sinner, and you shouldn't even be there, but you're going to bring this offering, and God accepts this out of his grace and his mercy and his love for you. Then they prepare the sacrifice, and then you had to eat all of the meat in one day. As a hunter, I'm like, yes, we need that back, okay? Yeah. But what I love of the biblical picture is there was no way for you to do that by yourself. You think about that? So you've made this peace and this fellowship offering before God, and now the only way that you can be obedient is you have to invite your neighbors and your friends and your family and your parents and your kids all over to help finish that sacrifice. That's a beautiful picture of what it means to go from the inside out. That God begins with you in this fellowship peace offering, but that he wants you to invite all of these other people to share in the meal. Again, I gotta come back to our growth groups because that's where I really see this happening. We share some good meals. We've kicked people out of our group for not bringing good meals. Mm -hmm. They didn't know it, but that's how they left. Yeah. Don't bring that junk from Sam's Club. Make it homemade, right? That's what we want. Bonbons, you know. But we share a meal. Why do we share a meal? It helps us to have fellowship with each other. So here's some things that I think that are very important. When you share meals, you begin to share burdens. You begin to share things you wouldn't naturally share. And I think that God wants this. He wants it to happen in your life. He wants it to happen in my life every day. One of the ways that we see this, there's two things that happen every year. They're very powerful as we build these relationships or the men's retreat and the women's retreat. 
Uh, we decided we're going to have the men's retreat. Some of you are asking me, are you going to have it? We're having it May 13th through the 15th. It's on the website. We're going to get you more information. But it's when you get away sometimes, away from the hustle and the bustle and the craziness of life and what's happening in your own family dynamic, and you go away that you're able to deepen your relationship with God. And then when you come back, the relationships with family are always better. My wife makes me go to a men's retreat every year. She goes, you come back a better man. Get out, right? That's what she does, because I need that. And the same thing's true. I noticed when she goes to the women's retreat and she comes back, her relationship with God has deepened and our relationship together is better. So that's two things that happen in the rhythm and the life of um, our church that are very important. So if you're a guy and you want to go to the men's retreat, we want you to go because I guarantee your life will be changed May 13th through the 15th. And you can find out about that through forge.life. I know Heather has just kicked up the women's retreat stuff. She's so much better and more organized than the guys. So you guys will know more about that just by watching her Facebook. I already saw her post and how excited she is to do that. But you need to jump on that. Because repairing relationships is really tough, but it's what we're called to do. In Matthew 5, very famous verse, 23 through 24, Jesus said this. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And they remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. We forget that that's how powerful relationships are. That even when we go to make a sacrifice or an offering to God, if we've got something against our brother or sister, we, we can't make that offering unless we first get reconciled to God. So here's the last passage. I think it's powerful. I think it'll help us in this perspective. Romans says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. So as you meditate on that verse for a second, I want to ask you a difficult question. Has there been someone this whole time, as we talk about essential relationships, that you already know you have a chasm, that there's something that's wrong, whether that's the relationship with God or someone that you know that's close to you, a parent, a sibling, a child, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a coworker. And immediately when you heard this idea of essential relationships, you began to question if your relationship was whole with them, because this is my last question for you. Where do you lack relational peace? Because wherever you lack relational peace, this is where God wants you to be most at work to repair the relationship. So let me break this down for you one more time as we end. Just kind of cap this for you in a very, very applicable way, very easy way. It begins with God, right? Church family, those of you that have been here for a while, how do we start a relationship with God? It's as easy as what? A, B, C. Beginning with the admission of your sin, because you've got to admit that, the depth of you, that you're a sinner. The belief that Christ has died for you, that your sin can only be covered over, atoned for, paid for by him. That he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years. He never sinned in thought or in deed. And then he took that life and he said, my life in exchange for your life. And he put his life on a cross and he shed his blood and died for us. Our belief and our hope and our trust is completely in what he's done. Not in who we are, not in who the church is, but only in him. And as a result of our love and affection for him and that belief in who he is, it drives us to commit to him, to surrender the very essence of who we are 
for his control. That we can re- kind of rescind or take away the pain of the garden. So instead of not trusting God, we trust God completely with every one of his words that are in scripture, that when he says, this is the way I want it, we say, yes, Lord. You know, it's a contradiction in terms, right? No, Lord. If you say no to the Lord, then he's not Lord. And that's how we begin the relationship. And by the way, that's how we repair the relationship. We admit our own sin as much as it's up to you. Be at peace with everyone. If you've harmed someone, you must admit specifically what that sin is. You must believe and trust Christ that he will bring, it, bring peace and wholeness to that. And then you have to commit to especially praying for that person and the repair of that relationship. And you have to offer grace to other people. You have to offer grace to them because it was offered to you. So I want to pray with you because some of you I know, even if you've been going to church all your life, you've never really started that true relationship with Jesus. That that's missing. Or that you need to first start with God and bring your own fellowship and peace offering this morning to him to repair the relationship before you can repair the relationship with someone else. And so we're going to do that together through prayer. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for each and every person that you've drawn here this day. All of us come before you, sinners in need of a Savior, realizing that we cannot do this on our own, and that we've sinned against you and that we've sinned against others and that others' sins against us have caused such relational havoc in our lives. Father, we take this moment in silence only before you to admit our sin. Would you do that? Would you just admit the area of struggle that you have right now in sin with God? Father, not based on our own power, our own merit, our own thoughts, or our own strength. We come to you begging for Christ's forgiveness because of what he's done for us. He paid for our sins specifically. That it's not something that we could fix or repair, but it's something that he could do because he was infinitely able because of his perfection. Father, we thank you for his atonement, his payment, his death that covers over our sin and not only our sins, but the sins of many. Father, thank you for his blood shed for us. We put all of our hope and our trust in him alone as the only reason that our relationship with you can be whole and our relationship with others can be whole. Father, we commit our lives to you fresh and new, surrendering all of who we are to you so that all of who you are can live through us. Thanks for the transformation you're bringing about through your Holy Spirit. We invite him to have full lordship of our lives this day. And we thank you for the transformation that will begin taking place from this day forward. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So hopefully that was a good time for you to begin and repair that relationship. Now, I know it's not as simple as that sometimes, uh, but I also know that we can't um, begin repairing the relationships around us 
without first repairing the relationship with God. And I want to challenge you, um, as you, before you leave today, we're going to do a couple more things, but before you leave, take some time and think about if there's a significant relationship that you need to repair, because you may need some help to do that. And I don't want to just gloss over that. Uh, it may need some professional help in repairing that relationship. It may need a recovery process and the help of repairing that relationship. But I want to ask you to be bold. If there's a real relationship you're really struggling with, it's okay to leave it on your Connect card or even email me privately at pastorgracefever.org so we can help you do that. Because I do not want you to continue moving forward without repairing relationships around you or your relationship with God. And so just reach out. We want to assist you. And the only way we can do that is if you share what that relationship is.